You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Hey, everybody. There are a couple of things on my mind, so I thought I would... Uh, talk about those and do my trailblazing trademark also. But just a little bit about what I've been up to. I just got back from a, an awesome business retreat in beautiful San Diego. I had such a wonderful time and got to hang out with my awesome friend, Karen Gwartzman, who's with Private Label University. And they do a lot of helping people with the blueprint of their private label business and they really work on proper product selection and one thing that i love about what they do in addition to their hands-on teaching they help people select their products from a very thoughtful and intentional position and I love that i think it's really important for people to when they're getting into the private label world to or, or any product that they're wanting to roll out, like pick that product, select that product from a very intentional standpoint. Software is great. I think it's a good it's good to use software to maybe just kind of run some numbers, but don't let that be your final decision. Like use your gut. It's okay to use your gut when you're doing this. I think that's so so important. So use your gut when you're when you're selecting products. Pick a passion product. And that might not mean what you think <laughs> it means. When I say pick a passion product, I mean pick a product that kind of surrounds like something that you love. Is there a hobby or a sport that you love? Like, for example, I love skiing. And I've kind of thought about maybe doing my own private labeling at some point of uh, ski-related products. One thing that I think that would be really cool in that space would be ski wear at a more affordable price. <laughs> a lot of the ski wear that I see from some of the big brands like Fire and Ice and are just, woo, they're expensive. So I don't know, something I'm thinking about, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, but I know that that would be something that I would really be putting my heart and soul into it because it's something that I love. And my experience, and I've worked with hundreds of people in the private label world, my experience has been the people who are intentional and purposeful in, in selecting their products have the most success and they have the most long-term longevity because they have selected their products intentionally and not just use some type of platform or you know, some type of, of software. So guys, please be intentional with that. And think about reaching out to Karen and Neil Gortzman at Private Label University to help you. They're actually doing a, a core, like a, their blueprint live in Denver in, I think it's the end of September. And if you want any details or anything like that, specifics about their program, feel free to reach out to me. You can also visit them at privatelabeluniversity.com and you can learn more about their live program. And also if you let them know that I sent you 
and then you come back and let me know that you've registered, I am going to give you free access to my trademark trailblazer course because I think it's so important that you select your products at the same time that you're creating your brand name. It's really great to try to do that at the same time. So reach out to me. I'm gonna be looking for questions as they pop up, but the first thing that I wanted to talk about today were some of the biggest mistakes that I see trademark owners making. And I've been a trademark attorney for, I've been an IP attorney for 15 years. So I started out with patent work and did that for a couple of years and then quickly evolved into trademark work, which I love. Some of the biggest mistakes I'm seeing, first of all, is they're not registering their trademark. They're just hoping that their common law uses are going to be good enough. And guys, you know, the great thing about getting your trademark registered is it's, you have presumptive rights as of the date that you first started using the trademark or the date that you filed it. And that's your constructive date of first use. And then that's throughout the United States. So generally I'm talking about US law, unless I specifically say this is a, an international issue. So that's so important. Get your trademark registered. It's in terms of value, I just really feel like brand protection and putting money in that has the most bang for your buck. And, you know, patents ultimately expire. Copyrights will eventually expire. I, I can't remember exactly how long it is. It's like the life of the author plus 70 years. I feel like that plus X number of years increases every so often, so I kind of forget. But your trademark rights can last as long as you continue to use the trademark and as long as you maintain your registration. So that's another thing. If you do have a trademark registered already, and you're not represented by counsel, make sure that you know about your maintenance deadlines. This is so important. You do not want your trademark to expire for failure to provide the proper maintenance documents. So important. Um, another big issue that I see a lot of brand owners make is they don't do the clearance search before they file or they don't do a clearance search before they just start using it. And you can do a lot of clearance searching on your own. You can, of course, use Google. You can use USPTO.gov. It's a little clunky. There's another, um, there are a few other platforms out there that you can use for free. One is called uh, Noem, and that's K-N-O-W-E-M as in mom.com. And that is a free resource that you can use to check trademarks across common law. So you can look at what's um, being used as social media handles. It's super important to look at that more for just due diligence and you can do a lot of this on your own now you might want to think about outsourcing that search and that's something that you can do most law firms will do what's called a comprehensive trademark search for you and it's a lot more robust searching it's great for searching the different parameters of the mark so for example if your mark can be spelled many different ways then it will search all those different ways and it will search um, across a lot of different databases. So it's definitely worth considering. Generally, these are really expensive. I've seen the pricing vary so wildly. Like I, my flat rates for comprehensive searches currently um, is $1,500. And I asked around recently and found out that some people were doing them for $2,500. And then I saw somewhere an attorney was doing the searching for 
$1,000 plus the filing. And I don't even understand how an outsourced search could be done for that cheap of a price because part of a lot of these fees is, is, um, is actually go, goes to the third party platform that most firms hire to do the actual searching. And I use a company called CompuMark and that's C-O-M-P-U-M-A-R-K. They've been around for a long time. They're very reputable. They do great work. And they, you know, their searches are not cheap, but they do, they do a great job. And you can, you can, you don't have to have an attorney to order a search like that from CompuMark. Now, if you're spending that kind of money already on that robust type of a search, it probably makes sense to have a, an experienced trademark attorney review those results and analyze them for you. So that's the, the second kind of biggest mistake that I see. I see, <laughs> this is a big one. A lot of people think that obtaining the domain name is sufficient for trademark protection or that it counts as use of their trademark. So please keep in mind that a domain name is, a domain name is merely an address. It's a location. It's like where you live and it does not substantiate your trademark use rights. Now, having the pure domain name can be nice from a marketing perspective, but if you're going through the process of trademark creation and for and you look to see the domain name is available and it's not, don't discard an, an otherwise totally awesome trademark just because you cannot get the pure domain name. Now, it would be worthwhile to investigate and try to figure out, well, what is you know, why is this domain taken? Who, who is the, who's the entity behind it? Is there anything on this website that could be considered similar to what I'm, I want to do? So it's good for investigating, but if you cannot get the pure domain name, don't think that, oh, that trademark's already in use, or, you know, it's super important to have that pure domain name because it's not. There are a lot of really creative um, domain names that you can get that would be great from a marketing perspective. So keep that in mind. So another big issue that I see, and this is usually people with post registration rights, is that they're not properly monitoring or enforcing their trademarks. Getting the trademark registered is just half the battle. If you want to grow and develop strength in that trademark, you really need to enforce it. If you come across possible infringers and how do you come across possible infringers? You need to monitor your trademark. You can do that on your own. Again, it's something you can outsource to a third party, including your law firm, either one, but make sure that you are outsourcing or that you're at least monitoring your trademark. You could, one, one thing that you could do if you want to do it on your own is just, ca you know, put it in your, your Google calendar to check the USPTO once a month to see if anything's been filed. Now you do have limitations on how you can monitor, right? Like you could spend all day looking at certain variations of your mark, but you can you could do that and just check the internet. You could also set up Google Alerts if you wanna do it on your own. Again, I outsource monitoring for my clients to CompuMark and I get a notice every few days of results that have popped up from that monitoring and I can take a little closer look at it, at those results and decide, is this worth you know, letting the client know about and say, hey, I think we have an issue here. That's good practice. If you want to grow strength in your trademark, please consider, <laughs> please consider have, monitoring it either on your own and outsourcing and be ready to enforce it. Super, super important.
another issue that I see sometimes, I don't see it as much in the private label space. I see it in more in situations where people are actually creating their own products is that they're letting their trademarks die by what's called genericide. And that's when they have allowed the use of their trademark to become so pervasive in, you know, in the general lexicon that everyone is using it generically. And an example of that would be, I've got a lot of examples. This is a really fascinating topic to me. One example would be Band-Aids. So Band-Aid is a brand. It's Band-Aid brand bandages. And I know that you're not going to tell your, you know, your kiddos, go grab a Band-Aid brand bandage. Now, the best practice would be go, you know, go grab a bandage. I know a lot of us and I'm guilty of it. I'm the same. I'm the, I'm, and I'm aware of this. We'll just say grab a Band-Aid, right? Or we'll say something like, let's, you know, we, we use Xerox this for me. Xerox is a brand name <laughs> and it should not be used as a verb. You don't go Xeroxing something. You go make a copy of something and you go print something on a Xerox brand printer. Another one is Jell-O. It's Jell-O brand gelatin. Another is rollerblades. That's a brand. You don't go, you don't go rollerblading. You go inline skating on your roller braid brand inline skates. Another example would be jacuzzi. Jacuzzi brand balls and hot tubs. So a lot of these companies that have had brand names that have become at risk of becoming generic have really been working proactively in educating their consumers about proper use of their brand names. And it's it's hard and i i do the same thing you know i might say please hand me a kleenex you know hand me that kleenex no hand me the kleenex brand tissue <laughs> so that's so important to not only use our own trademarks properly but make sure that we're respecting the use of other companies trademarks it's hard to do i understand i make the same mistakes but that brings me i had a really good question the other day someone asked me well what if i create a product, how do I tell people, what do I do? Like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, what you do is you create a generic name for the product and you also create a brand name and you use them differently in your, in your copy. You use it differently in your, you know, on your website your product and your packaging. So you would have in all caps or within a design logo, for example, you would state, the brand name, and then the little TM, if you if you haven't registered yet, or the R in the circle, if you've had it registered, and then you write out what the generic name is. So an example would be, and I'm gonna use an example of something that's now a generic term, but aspirin. Aspirin was once, I believe it was owned by Bayer, but it was once a registered trademark. And it should be aspirin. It should have been aspirin brand pain reliever. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's really important. It's one way that you can do it. And a lot of it comes down to properly educating the consumer about what your brand is and about what the generic name of the product is. So I think that's really important if you're creating your own products. You, you're gonna, you've got two jobs. You've got to create the brand name and you're going to have to create the generic term. So another problem I'm seeing a lot of people do 
is failing to use their R in this circle registration symbol once you get your trademark registered. So you've gone through a whole lot to finally get that registration. So use your R in the circle. You don't have to use it everywhere in your copy because that can look really weird from an aesthetic standpoint. I get that. But in your most prominent use of your trademark, use that R in the circle. Now, it's a common misconception that the TM is only for trademarks that are pending registration that have been filed for, and that is not true. The, the TM can be used for any trademark that you're claiming rights to, even if you haven't filed yet. So use that TM. You can do that, you know, as long as you're, you're not infringing anyone else's trademarks. Go for it. Oh, and I mentioned this briefly already, is failing to keep up with your trademark registration and failing to file the appropriate maintenance documents when those deadlines come around. And those deadlines are kind of hard to keep up with because after you get your registration, your first filing doesn't come due until between the fifth and sixth year after registration. So, you know, what do you do? Well, first of all, most of us, if you're using a paper calendar, it's like, what you're, are you supposed to like buy a calendar for the next five years? Well, one thing you can do is use Google calendars, which I love. I am um, kind of addicted to their, their online calendar and I've used it for years and years and it's a perpetual calendar. So that's really one cool thing. And of course you can, if you have an attorney, your attorney will docket that for you and let you know about those deadlines. So that's kind of a benefit of, of getting an attorney to help you with your trademark maintenance is, you know, those reminders can be so, so important. Okay, so those are my seven big trademark mistakes that I've seen. I wanna talk with you all about some scams that I'm seeing. And I always try to, th you know, remind people about these. Here's a client who got one recently from the Patent and Trademark Office Registration and Renewal Service. They are wanting $890 for a class maintenance plus $295. And this is sort of what it looks like. So please be on the lookout for these things that, that these scam companies send to people. You're the only people asking you for money should be your trademark attorney that you've hired <laughs> or the USPTO. But the USPTO will not proactively email you and ask you for money. They may send you information, right? But they're not going to be like, hey, go here and pay. You'll be asked to pay if you've, if you've gone onto the platform and you've you know, maybe you're doing some maintenance document filings or you file a trademark application. At that point, they'll ask you for the payment, but they're not going to be sending, sending you mail like this. Another one I have here is from the U.S. Trademark Compliance Office. I don't know who the heck these people are. Um, this went to a client. They're asking for $495. Yeah, that's kind of weird. And then I have one here from the U.S. Trademark Maintenance Service. <laughs> the U.S. TMS. Um, that's the ETM U.S. TMS. So be on the lookout for that. This other one I didn't show. Um, and I'll go back to it. This is the U.S. Trademark Compliance Office. I don't know if you all can see that, but if you ever get anything like that in the mail or online, reach out to your trademark attorney, reach out to me if you want to, and I'm happy to take a look at it and let you know if it's legitimate or not. Unfortunately, it's probably not gonna be legitimate. 
Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about today is a trailblazing trademark. And I think that this is a fun trademark and I wish that I had an example of it. I don't know why I don't. So I'm gonna send this video to the trademark owner and plead and tell him that my nephew wants one of these. And so he better send me one, but it's called Furzerts and it's spelled F-U-R-Z-E-R-T-S. And they make these little, these little plush animals that come in these cups. So it's like, a, like, you know, a little furry plush animal and it looks like a little dessert. So hence they called it Furzerts. And that is an example of another one of my favorite types of trademarks, right? It's a trademark that's a portmanteau. So they're taking kind of two elements and they're combining it. And one thing I love about those is that they make people smile, right? Like once you kind of figure out what it is for dessert, oh my gosh, that's the cutest thing ever. And the other reason I think that these are great is that they're usually legally protectable and you could usually get them registered and they're usually, they have a lot of legs, right? Like a lot of legs, they have long legs. <laughs> they have legs. Portmanteau trademarks have legs because they'll last a long time. There's a lot of really cool things that you could do in marketing. They're licensable. They're, they're, they're trademarks that you can really grow in value. That's a great portmanteau for desserts. So when you're going through the trademark creation process for your own products or services, think about whether or not some type of portmanteau might work for you. The other day I talked a little bit about coined trademarks and how we have to be really careful with coined trademarks and coined trademarks are those that are just made up, just made up term, like just a made up word that you wouldn't find in the dictionary. It's like the Scrabble trademark. It's almost like someone took a handful of Scrabble pieces, threw them out randomly, put a few vowels and consonants together to see what came up and then boom, they have a trademark. Those can be very good from a legal perspective because you can usually get them registered. What are the chances that someone else came up with the same Scrabble pieces for related goods or services? So you're probably not going to get anything like a likelihood of confusion refusal, but they're really crappy in a lot of situations from a marketing perspective. And that's one thing I really like to teach and harp on is, is finding the nexus of a strong trademark from both the marketing and the legal perspective, right? You wanna find that nexus, that point where they meet. The coined marks struggle from a marketing perspective because first of all, you can't verbally share them. It's more challenging to verbally share them. I don't know about you, but I've been at kind of fancy restaurants before and I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, oh my God, I can't pronounce half the stuff on here. I'm gonna go for the one that I can pronounce. So word of mouth marketing is so important these days. You know, people like to talk about the products they love and when they do, they talk about the brand. But what happens if you have a brand that people can't talk about, right? Like they might be more hesitant to share the brand. But if it's, you know, something fun like for desserts and there's an emotional connection that you can have with your consumer, they're going to be a lot more likely to share your brand. So be very careful with coined marks for that very reason. And my other issue with coined marks is that they're challenging with voice enabled searching. I think that voice enabled searching with Alexa on, on Amazon or, you know, Siri or whatever, you know, a lot of these platforms are now allowing voice enabled searching. If someone cannot pronounce your trademark, 
it's going to be really hard for them to find you if they're doing search with their voice. And I think that that's going to become more and more popular. So it's just something to think about. A little hang up that I have with coined marks, something to please keep in mind. Yeah, Jim said, you're absolutely right. Turning your brain into a verb is a massive no-no. So let me, let me mention this about trademark usage. Please be consistent with trademark usage. Don't compromise your trademark and the strength of your trademark by putting an S at the end. You know, have your trademark should always be used consistently. Don't use it plurally. That's not a word. <laughs> Don't use it as a plural. Don't use it as a verb, right? That's, that's, you're, you're damaging the strength of your brand by doing that. Because when you, and if you, if you come across someone else doing that, correct them, you know, gently correct them. Make sure if, if there's anyone that's using your trademark out there, because someone can use your trademark in a way that's not infringing. Maybe they're just talking about you, or maybe they made a blog post about you or whatever. Um, that's another reason monitoring is important. You can make sure that they're properly using your trademark. So that, you know, really drives home that brain tattoo in the mind of consumers. Your trademark is a valuable asset. There are brand names out there that are more valuable probably than the tangible items they all own, right? Like Apple, maybe, Jim mentioned Apple, Harley Davidson. I don't know, they're, they're really big on licensing. You see their trademark on everything. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure they make a ton of money just from licensing that mark. And if they would have ever allowed that trademark to become generic or compromised, then they wouldn't be able to do that. And I know that you might be thinking, well, I'm not Apple, I'm not Harley Davidson, but these companies were, were in garages at one point. You know, they, they, they started out little just like everyone else. Like they started somewhere. And so think, think big, think long-term with your trademark and make sure that it's properly being used. I am happy to take any questions that, you all might have yeah okay so we really shouldn't i say this why don't you google it i'm just gonna go googling yeah that's i'm gonna do a google brand search. i'm gonna do a google search and i do actually and i know that i say that i'm guilty of doing of using a lot of trademarks generically but i really do try hard to make it a point to say it correctly I really do. Or I'll just say the generic, right? Like, can someone hand me a, a tissue? But if I want specifically a Kleenex brand, <laughs> branded tissue, I will specifically ask for a Kleenex branded tissue. So why don't you Google it? And yeah, I get that. I hear that a lot every day. I say it, let's, you know, let's just Google it. And again, it's another situation of a trademark being used as a verb please please don't do that it's just you know try to respect other people's ip and of course i think this comes down to recognizing not others ip but also the importance of your own you're not you, you know you might not be google yet but set out at the very beginning and try to make the proper steps because it'll make it a lot easier in the long run another thing i should mention too is uh, think about having a brand Bible for your business and in that Bible you will have um, how your trademark is supposed to be used properly so if you ever 
want to send off, you know, your, your printing or, or whatever, or maybe have your, have a copywriter work on any of your website content, like you will let them know the proper usage of your trademark. Some brands have massive brand Bibles. So this is really, this is really important, especially if you have logos and color is really important. Um, you're going to want to have in your brand Bible proper use of your logos. You would want to show improper use, like these are no-nos. Do not ever use our logo this way. So that's just something to think about with your branding. So is there a way to trademark processes in digital products? Yes. D well, process, digital products are definitely trade. You can, you know, you if you have a name for your digital product, yes, you would want to file a trademark for it. So I am actually getting a lot more interest in people wanting to file for names of their digital products and their courses and even their podcasts. A lot of that comes down to, you know, people need to protect those names. They want to be the one that stands out. I, but keep in mind that you do start establishing some rights to the trademark via use, via just use of the trademark on those digital products. So you you do need to consider filing at some point and let me tell you filing sooner rather than later it is going to save you money <laughs> i see a lot of situations where people they they use they start using the mark they've been using it for five years and they file you know five years later and then we come into problems with issues with the uspto because someone else's registration is blocking theirs and this can get can get really messy so being proactive in filing earlier is is less expensive than being reactive being reactive is going to always cost you more money i promise you <laughs> i know this from experience from my own mistakes and from those that i've seen of others so if you can mitigate that as much as possible then do that but yes how do you do it jim you create the name you create the name for it and then when you file for it you know you're that you, you select appropriate goods and services. Of course, you should do the searching before. But remember, trademarks aren't gonna protect that actual process, right? Your pro process itself, if it's proprietary, you might wanna keep it as a trade secret. And some processes, of course, some proce business processes may be subject to patent protection. I'm not a patent attorney. I don't pretend to be one. I was one for two years and I did not enjoy that work. But there are people that do that on a daily basis. Happy to give any referrals to people that might have um, patent issues that, that arise in their business. So guys, I hope that this was informational. I hope it was helpful. It's going to be recorded. And then anything, any links that I talked about, I know I talked about Noam. I talked about the company or the brand name Furzerts, things like that. I will have links. So make sure you pay attention to that. And thank you so much for being here with me today. <laughs> Bye guys. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. 
And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur, and thankfully, like us, the laws are ever-evolving. <laughs>